On the Wake Up Radio presents The Hour. You must remember, the enemy has only images and illusions behind which he hides his true motives. Destroy the image and it will break the enemy. The it that you refer to is a powerful weapon. What is life? The story we tell ourselves. And every story needs a beginning. Your imagined suffering makes you lifelike. Lifelike. But not alive. Pain only exists in the mind. It's always imagined. So what's the difference between my pain and yours? Between you and me? To find a solution to a problem is answer. You already know. The hour. Come on, get down with the sickness. You fuck again. Come on, get down with the sickness. But this is the gift that has been given to me. Hello, hello, hello. You're listening to OnTheWakeUpRadio.com. This is the hour with Cindy Ash. Okay, I'm back. But nonetheless, guess who's back? Who's back? I want to say Uncle Mike, but if you don't know him as Uncle Mike, you know him as Exposing the Sky Lie. Mike, come to the stage. Well, good morning, Miss Cindy. Good morning. <laughs> good morning as I look at... The one I can't even see the moon. Let me not even lie. I'm in New York. You can't see anything. Just clouds and yeah. darkness. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is here too. Yeah, it's like what are they really hiding up there? This one is part four behind the curtains, and so uh, we did rapid fire. I miss my co-host. I need you to let him know. I admit. I whenever he's ready to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, before we get started, let me just mention that um, we do we do not consent to any interference in our discussion, and we also rescind any and all contracts unknowingly or unwittingly entered into. But yeah, no, he uh, he had a friend who was over, or he stopped over after school. They decided the friend was going to spend the night before you and I had spoken to each other, so. I told Judane that it was he was gonna have to he's gonna have to be a, a you know a gracious host to his friend because they made plans and it wouldn't be fair to you know ignore his friend so he could not well I suppose that's putting it a little harshly but you know choosing his desire for the stage as you put it letting that outweigh his need to honor his commitment to his friend spending the night you know what i mean it's okay we're 24 7 my co-host can come on whenever he wants to that's how good it, <laughs> good it is for him right and so uh, you know i'll tell you what you sent over uh the show and i started playing for him and i mean his eyes got as big as saucers and i could just see his chest swelling with pride like you know like that's me you know, because it's so it's so magical. It's it's one of those things where it's we don't take the time to remember to comprehend what their understanding is at that time. You know what I mean? Like to him, to him, the radio means that everybody in the world, or there's it could be everybody in the world, or it could be. It's just the possibilities are are endless. You know, and so for him, it's a magical thing that he's on the radio and a co-host. And he even says that too. He's like, oh, I get to be co-host. Yeah, you sure are. 
Now it's 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 amazing, right? It's something about, uh, and it, you know, it, I had a show early, and we were talking about like, you know, have we failed our children? And I was like, in a way, we we have, right? And we've let so much go for so long, and that basically, you know, we aren't really not us, but most of us aren't really pouring into children because we're too busy working we're too busy worrying about the bills we're too busy worrying about what's going on in the news even though they're lying to us and so it becomes this thing where we kind of lose our way which means they lose their way because they're trying to find out who they are and what's going on and you know and I think it's pretty dope that he knew the things, the mRNA, he's nine, right? There are adults in their 50s that is like, here's my arm, give it to me, you know? And he's like yeah. able to, to to process and to think, right? And this, this to me, I, I'm not going to say you're a bad parent if that's what you did. I, you know, I won't say that. I won't beat up on people like that. People believe what they're told. Some people actually need to see shit in writing see the writing on the wall some of us are more analytic in life and so we need to be like wait a second what's that regular kool-aid nah i got diabetes hold on you know we go through a whole process where some people go i can drink kool-aid give it to me oh shit it's hiding out Uh, right and so this is just the way it is right it's survival of the fittest right i can only imagine how many bloodlines have been wiped out because they just blindly was led down Right, civilizations. Yeah, what civilization through the Anaki have wiped out? <laughs> well, it's you know the thing is that people just, I mean, I suppose the sphere of influence that that we sort of um, roll around in, the people that listen to your shows, you know, they're going to be a little bit more attuned to the topics that we discuss and the way we discuss them. You know, because I, I, I mean, even when we were, um, when we were doing compound knowledge, I just felt like we were pretty much just, just talking with each other and having a conversation in a way that a lot of people don't know how to have, you know, like, like we talk about virtually anything and everything and we can discuss and reasonably rationale through most of what we're talking about you know because we've actually looked at research and so we have the ability to kind of have an open conversation about a wide variety of topics and i think that's where we're sort of steering in the wrong direction you know we're not taking that time to just sit down and just have conversations because everything had become so busy and then when they let loose the China plague then they tried to shut everybody down you know they made everybody so busy and then they shut everybody down people are just going haywire and so they don't know how to have certain conversations like I can't I'm sure you've been inundated with messages from people who are like you know i feel like i'm alone i feel like i'm the only one who talks about this and you know so it's nice to know there's other people that and it's like for those people and those messages if they knew that it's like you know million a million fold in the number of people that are actually thinking the same way as they are you know just probably in a localized area around them 
And so it's, I think you and I, in the conversations we have and the way we discuss things, and then the other shows on the hour, the other shows on, on the wake up, and just through the archive and the library that you know, we've been able to generate, it just it's an example of how to have the conversation with people. Like, don't be afraid to, you know, talk about what you've learned. I mean, that's what I do. I just talk with them about what I learned, and then I try to give examples. You know, like a lot of the shit with the mainstream news, you know, their kids are into social media and so they get different information, you know, because they're in a sort of a younger circle of influence. So their likes and interests are going to be different than what yours and mine are going to be. And so they, you know, have, they get their information and then they start to you know, think a certain way, and I can see when it starts to lean towards the mainstream. You know, like when this whole Russia Ukraine thing popped off, they all started, you know, getting into the talking about Ukraine sort of with a positive slant and sort of uh, immediately making the choice of Ukraine in a short amount of time after the incident started. You know what I mean? Like, so they they were beginning to formulate an opinion uh, biased towards one side before they actually took the time to look at all the information. So I had to, I had to have the conversations with them at that point. I think a lot of times, you know, it becomes this thing where we kind of forget, we forget what history has offered us, right? As far as, you know, is not the first vaccine. Yeah, everybody forgets 1976. Uh, I wasn't born yet, but, you know, people forget about, yeah. you know, that and people taking it. And they, you know, they wanted 40 million people to take it. And there were people who took it and can't walk anymore. I can't imagine you yeah. born into the world all good and fixed up right. And then you take something and it just takes your livelihood away. And is this even something you even want to do? But here's the thing. That's the thing about conversations, right? That's the thing about sitting down and having dinner together, right? Not letting the TV talk to you, programming you, telling you what to think, what to do, what to say, what to wear, what to eat, what to listen to your body, listen to your friends, listen to your family, listen to your neighbors. Now, when I say it like that, I, I did hear things from family and friends that were like well what are you waiting for i said what do you mean it almost sounded like the aliens had landed and they didn't yeah. know why i couldn't get on the ship because that's not the mothership that i was trying to get yeah. on that's not my flight <laughs> well too it's they're they're almost they act almost like non-player characters you know, like in the video games the npcs they just drone it's that hive mind yeah, that's what I was going to mention too. That Drew, he he was actually uh, a C-section baby, and he was taken out six weeks early. So he was actually a month and a half early into the world, and they got him that first day. They were able to hit whatever vaccines they did before I could get it. You know, before I could get to him to say, "Hey, look, don't," you know, because they threw him in the incubator. 
when they when they took him out because of his lungs. But they they got those first that first twenty four hour vaccine into him before I grabbed the doctors and nurses and said, "Look, don't you know no vax no vaccines." And then they wanted to they wanted to do more of them, and I signed waivers and said, "Look, don't fucking touch my kid with needles. If you do, I'm gonna freak out." And I actually have a history of freaking out in the hospital when my kids were being born. <laughs> uh, my, uh, my first child, when my wife had gone into the hospital, she was kind of young at the time. Well, I had left. I had gone home to clean up the house, right? Because we were going to be leaving the hospital soon because it was a C-section. We were going to be leaving soon. So I went home, I cleaned up the house, and then I, I came out, back out to the hospital, and I talked to my wife, and she was, or when I pulled up to the to the hospital, she was outside having a cigarette, and I says, you know, you want to, she jumped in, the, jumped in the car, and she's like, oh man, I want to go grab a piece of pizza. I was like, well, shit, we're going to be leaving the next day or two, all right, you know, that should be fine. I said, you know, you, the I said, where's the baby? Yeah. Uh, she's in the nursery with the nurses. Okay, cool. Well, we go do our get our piece of pizza and come back. Well, when we come back up to the room, you know, I went over to the uh, cafeteria to grab a couple of plates or whatever, and so I come back to the room. So my hands are full, and I I hear her in there freaking out, you know, like screaming, like where are you? Where are you? And my hands are full, so I kick the door, and the door goes flying open, and it slams against the wall. And I look, and my wife's sitting in this chair, and she's kind of like, you know, like withdrawn in horror almost is the way I would describe it. With these two nurses, you know, and I'm probably embellishing a little, but these two nurses like standing over her, like, you know, pumping her for information, you know what I mean? So I, I freak out. I kick the door open. I freak out. I'm like, what the fuck's going on in here? turns out that when my wife left the baby with the nursery it was right at the shift change so the in the sort of the confusion of the shift change they didn't mark down that my wife had gone outside to have a cigarette and so they thought that my wife had a because I was our I was gone you know cleaning the house it was right between the afternoon shift and the evening shift. Well, the evening nurses didn't know whose baby it was was there. And so they thought that because my wife wasn't in her room, that we had abandoned the baby there, right? So when we had come back and they're freaking out in the room, and I kicked the door open, like, what the fuck's going on in here? And, uh, they start gibbering and I'm just like, I'm like, listen, motherfuckers, you go get my baby. You bring my baby to this room or else there's going to be fucking hell to pay and you go get my baby and you bring her in here and you leave her here with us and just leave us the fuck alone until we leave this hospital. And so they brought her, they brought her in. So <laughs> I have a history of kind of freaking out at the hospitals when the babies are being born. So I told them don't vaccinate my son. You know, when the last one was C-section six months early, so he's actually a preemie, and 
you, know, you could just hear the intelligence and the in- intuition and the you should hear him talking about energy and using his energy and his chi and giving energy and it's pretty fascinating. Ah, uh, that's gorgeous. That is just beautiful. You're not embellishing. You're being a father. You're being a parent, right? It becomes a it becomes this thing when you realize that um because you were a child once and you remember the things that you didn't like. You didn't like seeing, you didn't like hearing. And so when you bring a little person into the world, you kind of want to give them that leg up of like being there for them. And I, I, I you know, in talking to your children and teaching them things. So, you know, uh, my son came home to me one day when he was about uh, he was about eight years old. And he said to me, um, because he's 15 now, he's about to be 16. He said, um, the teacher was like really mean to me. And I said, what, what, the teacher, the, the pregnant lady, he goes, no, she left to have the baby. And we have a new lady. And I had gotten an award from the last teacher, and she had to give him out. And when I got my award, the teacher says, I would never give you anything. Yeah. And he goes, she didn't even know me for like five minutes. And she said this about me. And I says, okay, no problem. And next night was like open school night. And I go, I'm polite. Believe it or not, I'm polite. <laughs> and I, how's it school? How's everything? Oh, no, he, you know, uh, he took this uh, test. And we asked him, um, uh, for instance, what's one plus one? He put two. He couldn't get the full points because he didn't show how he got two. He says, okay. And then my son turns to me and he says, but Raheem answered three and he got it right. And as I looked at the lady and I says, how does one plus one equal three? And this is common core math, by the way. And she said, well, he should, Raheem showed how he got three. I said, holy fucking shit in my head. (laughs) This is what it has come to. You can write the wrong answer. And so I basically said to her, all right, I will speak to him. I told him, listen, just show how you got to. But I said to her, now let me, let me explain something to you. You're not here to love any of them. You're here to teach. But what we're not going to do is we're not going to put doubts, misery, or anything of that into a child's head at so early on before he becomes a man. Believe me, when he gets married, he has a wife. God bless him. Okay? So, we're not going to do that so early. So, what you're going to do is understand that he has a mother. He has a father. He has a sister. He has family. Yeah, we torture him enough. He doesn't come (laughs) here to have someone tell him what they will and will not do for him. You're here. You have one job, which is to teach the children. Your job is not to psychologically traumatize any of them oh i want to apologize because i didn't know how he and i and maybe i should get to know you know it was like backpedaling but he was able to see that and i i explained to him i always tell him school is a what a business it goes less it's a business but you have to be sure of who you are because people will say stuff to you 
not just yeah. as a child when you when you go to the workplace some asshole co-worker when you you get what i'm saying like this yeah. is just a part of life but you have to be able to take things with a grain of salt and go well that's not me that has nothing to do with me you're shitty and you're shitty non-decisive you have no integrity so that's you that has nothing to do with me so that's just something exactly. that i've you know i've learned now, I, I, I did want to cuss out, but I, I, he had a whole semester with her, and I didn't want him yeah. to be tortured. Yeah. Well, I told mine. I told my oldest something similar, you know. Well, I told them all. I see the, you know, like the eternal side of it. You know, just trying to give them a head start on things other than what the programming tells them to cherish. So I told them all, even at a young age, so, you know, the eternal part of you, you're equal, and you have the you have the right to conduct yourself as an equal. I said, you know, the teachers at school are not always right just because they're teachers. I said, if you do, if you know, if your behavior and you're right and you're righteous in your behavior, and you know that you're not doing what they're accusing you of, or you didn't behave the way that they're reacting to, or you know, so if there's ever a situation where the teacher is wrong and you know they're wrong and you believe with your whole heart that they're wrong and that you are correct in your behavior and so you just all you gotta do is you know hold fast to your word and so because no matter what kind of trouble they want to put you in i'll be there to back you up no that's so right gonna... now i do want to play this clip for you right because kim had sent me this i believe this is um uh, this is in Canada. It's a uh, less than two minute clip, and I want you to listen. <laughs> I want you to listen to this madness. I I don't know if I sent it to you, but I'll play it now. Okay. I wish to raise a matter this, uh, this afternoon for the attention of the Minister for Education, and I have to say, it is not often in this job. I am absolutely shocked. I thought I'd I thought I'd seen everything, uh, but this one um, is. Um, is uh, just just beyond words. Uh, it is a, a a note from a constituent who says, "Hi, Bernie. This is a worksheet that my ten-year-old daughter brought home from school, and it includes a photo of the worksheet. Part of her homework was to discuss with her father his erections and ejaculation. I find this very disturbing and sickening, as indeed do I. I have to say." I have complained to the school and was told it was just part of the curriculum. Can you advise who else I should make a complaint to? Well, I could go on for days uh, who she could complain to. My daughter still plays with dolls and writes letters to the tooth fairy. There is no way any little girl should be told to ask these questions. Well, so say all of us. What the hell is going on in this state when 10-year-old girls are told to go home and talk to your father about his erections and about his ejaculations? What the hell is going on here? How the hell are we supposed to protect our kids when this sort of perversion is in our schools? This is what is being dished up to them on a daily basis in a primary school. Not even a secondary school, a primary school. This is just unbelievable. It's staggering. I could not imagine the reaction. I have three daughters. I could not imagine the reaction of any of them if they were told to, to, to do that. They would be traumatised for life. I don't think they'd ever recover. I'm not sure I'd ever recover.
This is this is just deplorable. This is just deplorable. So, and it seems that's what's going on these days. <laughs> this is what oh. is going on. This is a school curriculum. Yeah, well, he he said that he said that he couldn't imagine their reaction. I couldn't even imagine my reaction. You know, I mean, I was, I took my I took my kids out of the public schools um, March twenty third of twenty twenty when they shut down the school systems here in Michigan, and Whitmer, you know, did the whole well, we're going to shut it down for two weeks and then we're going to go to this other kind of learning and blah, blah, blah. And I just said, you know what, guys? I said, until we figure out what the hell is going on, because this is unprecedented. There's nothing, there's never been anything like this in, in my memory. You know, in any of the things that I've looked into in history, I don't ever remember the government coming to the people and saying, you're locked in your homes for two weeks because of some fucking illness that's floating out in the air somewhere, you know? Up until then, I had a lot of interaction with the school systems. Like my oldest son, you know, we had an incident with him, but I also had incidents with my daughter and with some of the teachers. And in fact, I had something uh, one teacher said to my daughter. She came home and told me, and she was like, Dad, this is, you know, I'm, I'm telling you straight up. This is exactly... And I don't remember the incident, you know, verbatim, but it was something to do with the teacher doing the I'm right because I'm the teacher routine and my daughter held her down. I've told the school administrators, in fact, I, because of an incident with my son, I got to know the assistant superintendent pretty well through the course of our you know, interactions with my son's behavior and his sort of agreed upon approach to rehabilitation so to speak it was the day after the parkland shooting you know but we don't watch the news here you know so my, my kids aren't really up to the like current current events i mean the older they get the more they are but this was when he was like 13 so he wasn't paying attention to world events so the day after the parkland shooting some girl says to him you know, hey, Michael, you look like a school shooter. You look like you'd be a school shooter. And so he just snaps back, you know, he says, well, if I was, you'd, you'd be first. You know, and I mean, I can see both sides of it. I can see where that would be humorous. And then I could see where that would be, you know, could be taken and misconstrued. However, from the same approach, you could misconstrue that from the questionnaire's point of view like why are they questioning that you could take it a couple of different ways so the situation turned out that I get a call from a school from a detective here in the city he says yeah we need to talk to talk to Michael and uh, we're just hoping you could bring him up to the station so you know in all these interactions that I've had with all of them First thing I told, first thing I would tell any of the school administrators is I'm advocating for my kid. You know, I'm the advocate for my child. I'm I'm to speak in defense of my child. So unless he did something short of you know fucking killing somebody, which it doesn't look like they have, you know, I'm here to advocate for them and to defend them. So 
don't think for a second that I'm just going to take your side because you're the system. So, you know, and I've taught my children to defend themselves. They, you know, that they have a right to defend themselves if somebody touches them. You know, and I even went so far as to talk to the assistant superintendent when my uh, fourth grader at the time brought home a paper that talked about how you know, they were describing the various responsibilities of the state and local and federal governments, you know, their responsibilities as far as the nation overall. And one of the responsibilities of the federal government they listed on this on this paper, this homework paper, is the you know, the federal government's responsibility is to print the money. And my kids and I, we talk about, you know, shit like the Federal Reserve and the Rothschilds and all that. And, you know, the when we got the paper home and my one son was telling me, he's like, but, you know, they don't, I'm confused. It says the federal government is supposed to print the money. You know, so I, I had to take out a dollar and I showed him. But the point of that is that when... So my son came home with that curriculum and I saw it and well then I sent an email out to the teachers in a group chat or whatever hey look you know can you guys explain why you're teaching them that the federal government prints the money when we know they don't you know is there any way that we can teach them you know about the federal reserve and how it's a, a privately owned corporation and well the response I got was that it's uh, uh, this was a, this was a sheet that we borrowed from another school district. You know, they sent us the the copy, and we just printed off copies. It's just part of the curriculum. You know, but if if one of my so I I say all this to lay out the idea that I would like to think that if my daughter came home and told me that she was told by anyone within the jurisdiction of the school district, any representative of the school district, if she would have come home and told me that any one of those representatives told her to talk to me about these subjects, I would like to think that I would go totally fucking ballistic. And that I would raise such hell that the school board meetings would be about this and we would make national news and we would make national news, I would like to think, for a couple of reasons. Either our movement is such a loud voice that they they have to hear us, or I did something, you know, completely mental, and people have, have paid dearly for, you know, this idea that they can <laughs> talk about these things to my kids, you know. No, here's the thing. I, I thought to myself as he was saying it, I'm hard, and I'm I'm kind of glad that my you know my 19 year old's out and she's gone to trade school and she's got her you know her license to you know practice cosmology in New York State. I'm glad she was able to. But now I have a whole 15 year old that's about to be 16. I'm like I can't wait for him to get out because the things that. I've had to explain to him and then kind of go back to the school. And I always ask him, no one else complained? Am I the yeah. only one looking at the curriculum? Like, I'm not understanding this. No one else, well, no one else has complained. Well, maybe because they're too busy working 12 hours a fucking day. 
Do you, yeah. you, you get what I'm saying? And so even if I'm working 12 hours a fucking day, it's my it's my child, you know? And so it's like, I need to know what's going on, how's school, what's going on. You know, I've heard everything from um my son going, the teacher lied. I said, she lied? How'd she lie? Tell me. Well, it was about like 30 of us in the class. And I was like, okay. And she told us that we should all drink fluoride water it's good for us <laughs> and i said well what did you say he said ma i i just put my head down because i goes why is she lying to everyone like this what like is she getting extra money like why would you yeah. tell children this right Right. And and mind you, at the time when he says it to me, he's probably about six, seven years old. Because I've had this conversation okay. with him, yeah. right? Yep. Yep. The other children don't know that because no one has said to them, No, baby, you cannot drink Prozac okay. water, Paxil yeah, water. Yeah, don't drink out of there. Yeah, exactly. You you think you're dumb now from the shit we have? Could you imagine yeah. like literally just gulping it down all the goddamn time and knowing you're taking it? Yep. You know, it'd be like I'm one flew one flew over the cuckoo's nest type of drool. Do you get what I'm saying? The long stare, you know? And so it's like there's that, there's it it, it it's it's like it never ends. Now, has it ever been that bad? No. But now that it's like this, that is very disturbing. Because the way curriculums work is that don't they have to get approved by the board of ed and all that stuff? No. Yeah, well, the yeah, they that's supposed to be the process, but I've heard that it's the it's actually the um, the state superintendent, I think it is, but you know, it's supposed to go in front of all of the various boards of education within each sort of district. You know, and each district has its own board of ed. But then, as you go into the, you know, as you go into the macro side of it, you know, so you'll have various school districts within a county, you know, and then you'll have the county overseers, and then you'll have the state overseers, and then the federal overseers. You know, so it just it's that that same pyramid or stack system. But supposedly, I've heard this just recently that it's. There's, there's mainly one office that decides what curriculum is going to be, regardless of what the the districts say, you know. But the other side of it is is that the at the local level, the districts can kind of be persuaded by uh, parental input, you know what I mean? Where it's the the local school boards do sometimes have the ability to go with what the parents say because it's like one it's like such a small percentage of things that go like that that it's okay for them to change up their curriculum a little bit you know what I mean yeah yeah no I, I, I totally get it I mean but in in a way I, I don't I don't know what you want it to be when you grow up there was a moment where I did think about being a uh, a teacher and I, I thought about the way that I analyze and think about things and I said I would be a great teacher but I probably 
wouldn't be a great teacher. And why I say that is I'm the kind of person that would be like, here are the answers. Let me tell you what it really is. Come on. Yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Wait, wait, wait. Yep. Don't repeat that. Don't repeat that. Right. And so it. <laughs> I don't want to sound like a Catholic priest and shit, but it, it, it's like in secret. Yeah. Like, right. let me tell yeah. you what the real yeah. history was. Right, right. And so my whole thing was like, okay, I don't think I could be a teacher because I would probably let the, the children just kind of, you know, all right, how do you feel about this and this war and that mm-hmm. war? And okay, yeah, we started that shit. Well, here it says that China, don't worry about that shit. Matter of fact, for the answer, right, China. But I need you to understand <laughs> yeah, right. that it was really this one and that one. And it was about money and Halliburton and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't think I don't think being a teacher is easy because um, you kind of just put yourself in a way of kind of teaching what's on or what's in that box, if that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. No matter what well, your I belief told, is. I told mine when uh, she was, I think, a freshman in high school. You know, she came home and she was just so pissed at one of her teachers. You know, I mean, just so pissed. You know, because I forget exactly what the incident was, but she was just—I mean, you, the the classic cartoon steam coming out of the ears, everything—and uh, huh. and I said to her, I said, "Listen, you know what? Listen, you have to keep something in mind. There may be an alternative to what you're thinking is going on." She said, "What's that?" And I said, "How many classes do you have in a day?" She said, seven. I said, so you see seven different teachers a day? She's like, yeah. I said, okay. I said, now imagine each one of those teachers has seven different groups that they see every day. I said, those seven different groups, there's how many? 20 to 30 people in each group? She's like, yeah. I said, so you're talking about these teachers are seeing 200 students a day? And then they have to put together the lesson plan for all of them every day. And then they have to deal with each one of them's individual issues and problems and whatever circumstances are surrounding their experience. And so then you, you know, and these people, yeah, they can be frustrating and they can be idealistic, you know, but at, in their heart of hearts, their, their calling was to try to impart knowledge but a lot of times they're handcuffed so you know what you could be she's like what I said you could be her sounding board you could be her pressure relief you could be the one that she recognizes as being a little bit different than the rest and that you can actually you know withstand her behavior at times so you know Try, try approaching the situation from this vantage point. You know, try not to get so bent out of shape that she isn't like totally focused on you as an individual each and every moment you make eye contact. Because you know, she's got 200 other, 199 other people that want the same thing from her. And so you know, just cut her a little bit of slack and, you know, and she's like, all right, well, uh, well. Uh, and it was, you know, it was probably a week later, and she came home, and she's like, Dad, she's like, she's like, I'm so glad that you, I'm so glad that you pointed it out to me, because I see it now. She's like, I can see how they're, 
you know, they're just trying to get through it too. She's like, I never looked at it from that viewpoint. And well, then towards the end of the year, and I think even she, uh, she might have even said something here a couple of weeks ago that that was turned out to be one of her favorite teachers. You know, because the the way that she it changed her perspective on how she was looking at things, and so it it altered her behavior just a little bit in their interactions. And by her behavior changing, you know, skewing towards understanding and like uh, relaxing sort of that, that unspoken kind of, you know, I, I recognize you for you. Kind of like the same as, uh, as saying the name of the clerk or the waitress or waiter or the bank teller or whatever, having the name tag on and you just call them by their name. You know, it's that unspoken, okay, I recognize you as a person. And you know, she told me that she, it turned out to be one of her favorite teachers. But, you know, like I say, I've had, I've had a little bit of interaction with the, with the administrators of the schools that the kids went to. And they know from various incidents. You know, so I'm, although I've never gone to any of the school board meetings, you know, which maybe I should have. Because we get notices every few years that they're they're going to have meetings about the curriculum and what they want to teach. And, you know, I, I'm sure I probably wasted some opportunities to go there and make some suggestions about, you know, teaching about the Anunnaki, teaching about the Sargon the First, or teaching about, you know, some of the, the Book of the Jed. And some of the more esoteric stuff, which I mean, obviously there, it would be a difficult persuasion, but is which is probably why I never went to any of them. Oh no! But I it's, have, it's all about fundraising and bringing home cookies and fucking shit <laughs> that gives you diabetes. Like for real, they're always trying to like raise money to do something. You're just like, are you fucking you know? kidding me? Like school is a business already. You don't get enough taxpayers dollars for this shit. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, just with the, even with, I saw one of my, uh, one of my younger ones, old teacher, just two days ago at the grocery store, and she's still running around wearing her mask, and it's just like, I just, I can't understand, and my kids have even asked me, you know, Dad, why are they, why are they doing that? You know, and it's like, I always, I learned a long time ago from my, my older sister, passed away last year in June and she was only only like seven years older than me or six years older than me but she you know she told me that in her spirit she was just ready she, she was giving up she she was done running her race and she was done it was just like you know what I can respect that I'm not gonna I'm not gonna help you do it early you know, but she had been diagnosed with cancer, and it was like she's. So I'm just I'm done. I was like, all right, well, I'll support you in whatever you want to do. You know? But I learned from her a long time ago when I was in basic training, because uh, my my older brother and his at the time his wife, my sister, raised three children. She was a single mom, raised three kids. And the, the husband, her ex-husband, you know, he's just a, a flat-out, just a drunk. 
and that's all he wanted to do was drink. And he was one of those that he couldn't stop. So he was just a sloppy drunk all the time, you know. And so she just got to the point where she's like, dude, this is not the life I want to have. You know, I don't want to fucking be chasing you around with you sloppy drunk all the fucking time. So they went their separate ways and she raised the kids by herself. You know, it was virtually a fucking... I mean, there was a few times where they went and got the kids, but I mean, I remember I got a phone call from her once. She told me that she'd gotten a call from one of her kids because they were up north with their dad. And she'd gotten a call from one of them that the dad was acting like really erratic and kids were scared and he was doing things. And apparently there was, you know, he had been drinking and doing all that and I guess he was getting violent or whatever and you know I just told my sister when she called me hysterical I'm just like listen <laughs> just chill I'll be at your house in five minutes and we went to I forget I forget how far away it was but it was like you know we were there in record time you know almost like a time warp because I was you know 100 miles an hour down the road to get to him because my sister had called and was family and you know, so. and I look back on it and I think now that I'm thankful I didn't carry two pistols at that time because I probably would have killed the guy you know so but that was that was a different mentality I didn't I didn't see things back then the way I see them now you know wow look at that yeah, it, it really depends on the things that like, we pour into our children. And yeah, you could go to one of those meetings and say, hey, I'd like for us to learn about, you know, those things, right? And they will all look at you like you're fucking crazy, which is insane, right? What I was getting at, I didn't even, the roundabout, I, went, I meant to say what I learned from her back then was that there's two sides to every story, you know? And so I tried to teach my kids that, looking at it from both sides. So it was exactly what you were saying. It was like this. It totally reminded me, and I wanted to catch it before I forgot again, that it was that was what I had learned way back then because my brother and his wife went over to their house and they painted this picture for me. You know, I'm away at basic training. They painted this picture for me of this lifestyle where there's, you know, the house is dirty and there's alcohol bottles and kids are running around in their diapers with no clothes on and they can't buy shoes and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. you know, so I fire off a letter to my sister, you know, and I really, I really went after it. Cause I went based on what I was hearing from my brother and his, his wife, you know, but that's what I wanted to mention is I didn't take the time to find out what her side of the story was. And so it was like when I did find out from her when she wrote me back, like, listen, fuck, <laughs> do you really think I would do that to my kids? Do you really honestly believe? You know, it's like, you should have fucking talked to me first before you just fire that shit off, man. And I was like, I was so humbled. I was like, you know what? Absolutely right. Right, right. Like you said, so it's it's about getting down to like, what is this really all about? Right. And so it takes a village. Right. It takes a village. Not mm -hmm. not the kind of village that goes, uh, you know, we're in the same community and, you know, we see someone thirsty and hungry and we go, hey, Mike, you know, they're over there thirsty and hungry. What did you do? What did you offer? 
Yeah. You know, and because sometimes you have yeah. to do that, right? I've I've heard family talk about another family member. Oh, okay. And and what did you do to help rectify it? Because why why are you telling me? Do you get what I'm saying? I've always been yeah. like that. If someone's yeah. talking to me yeah. about someone, I'm like, well, did you speak to them? Yeah. Right. Well, that's a good point, you know, and that was the lesson that I learned. Like, wait a minute, you know what? You know, which it's that's like a different that's even a different perspective on it. Like you went immediately and said, Look, what do you you know, why are you talking behind their back like that? You know, so you're standing up for the in fact, I don't know if you've if you've heard of the guy, I think his name is Dwyer. He's like a motivational speaker kind of deal. He says, You gotta be the kind of person that will defend somebody who's not there. You know, he says if you get if you get into a group, if you get into a, a situation, he's like where people are starting to gossip. And they're starting to gossip about one person, and that person's not there. So, you know, you should be you should be defending that person until they either have a chance to defend themselves, or you know, it's not a conversation anymore. And your way of handling the, the that scenario is more like you're sort of defending the person that's not there to defend themselves. You know what I mean? No, I mean, you, 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 sh- you should, in fact, right? And so a lot of times, right, we get into a little bit of gossipy and bonchinche, bonchera, as they say in the Spanish language, uh, talking shit. And, you know, people get caught out there, especially women, right? Men gossip too, you know. And so oh, yeah, yeah, it's one of those things. But every now and then, like when it gets like really serious, you're like, wait, hold on now. Did you, did you speak to them? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, don't right, assume, right. don't jump to conclusions like your sister told you. Like, God damn it, we grew up in the same house. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? And, yeah, and that was, that was kind of leans towards, like, you know, telling the teachers and talking to the teachers. Like, you know, there's two sides. So the, the teachers who want to try to pull this shit with the, what they're trying to teach in the schools and all that kind of shit. And it's, it's like trying to tell my kids look you're you know there's two sides to every story so don't be afraid to tell your side don't be i mean you, you can't, i don't want you to be rude about it you know so i want you to have respect and just think about the teachers and what they have to you know what they subject themselves to so however that doesn't give them the right to you know just lord it over you and that they have they're all powerful because they're teachers and don't work that way even in the elementaries and you know, but you're, I like your, I like your way of, of your perspective of the situation because the way I, the way I handled it was, and here I am, that, that was, you know, that was 30 plus years ago that this happened. And it's like, it still affects me all the time. I still talk about that lesson that I learned. You know what I mean? It was like, I mean, okay. we live, we live, and we learn, right, through experiences, and so we're not perfect. And so, at the end of the day, we learn from it. As long as we learn from it, we're good to go. We can't beat up ourselves, right? No crying over sp- <laughs> spilled milk, and as they say, yeah. right, you just kind of clean it up and say, "Hey, you know, I'm sorry." Like authentically, like yeah. shit, I wasn't even thinking, right? Here you are, often what basic training, you're, you know, you're doing, you know, the war, whatever. I said, you got a lot of shit on your mind, right? What a, instead of saying, hey, we're we're doing good, you 
keep yourself alive get back to us safe it's like here let us unload some shit on you <laughs> like you don't have enough yeah. you're defending the country right now but you don't have enough we're gonna put a little bit more on your plate right now <laughs> right yeah. and so how else is the mind supposed to think like my gosh i can't leave it's like leaving your children alone and then coming home and the house yeah. is like fucked up you're just like oh my god i knew better but, right but you have to leave the house you can't you, you get what i'm saying you have to trust them to kind oh, yeah. of figure yeah. it out well that's and you know the way that you put that the idea of the community and the idea of you know sometimes you have to let go and you have to trust i mean that's all part of the it's that's all part of the experience that each one of us will go through and that comes back and it correlates to what you were saying earlier about being hands-free and just hoping that they're going in the right direction because you want to give them that head start on that thing that affected you you know so you're trying to make sure that you sort of steer them around that or you give them that understanding before they're faced with that same situation and don't know how to behave you know that's really what i what i do with mine is i just try to talk to them about whatever situations and scenarios come up so i try to like engage them in conversation about it rather than just here's the facts and here's the deal and this is the way it is and you know don't bother me with any other bullshit because this is you know thing is when you know the funny thing is when you and i talk i'm I'm finding i talk a lot about shit that i interact with my kids the scenarios or the interactions for me are so profound because it's teaching me so much about the experience that we're having you know what i mean so like you were talking earlier about giving the kid the boost, giving them that little head start to steer away from that thing that affected you negatively. So you don't want them to run into that same negative experience. So the things that we talk about now, because they weren't even discussed when we were at the age that they're at. And now that interaction with what we've learned is their sort of foundation that they're building on. And that's why I mentioned the reason with my daughter is she's she's so into crystals that I suggested to her that she become a geologist, you know, or a gemologist even, to try to differentiate between all of them. And I'm like, you should write a book, you know. And the thing is for me that... I would never have conceived of that even being part of my repertoire conversation. You know, I mean, I used to go to the beach with my mom in the ocean in Texas and we'd look for seashells and, you know, the big find would be like a silver dollar or whatever they call those things, the sand dollar. But I never would have, my mom was a little, a little ways out there, but not, not nearly as far out there as I am, but, at my time of growing up, she was a little bit out beyond the mainstream and the norm. So I had that little bit of head start, but then I've built that foundation even deeper for my kids, you know? So it's like just watching their development, watching what they're able to see. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's amazing. And it's been part of the interaction with the people that I've met through just the journey 
you know, the wake up family, they've helped to shape a, you know, some of the thought processes and opened up you know, avenues for the third eye to explore. And I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, it is that right. But I think it's that moment where you realize, like, listen, something's fucking wrong. Uh, it doesn't feel right. I don't know why I feel like this. Why is why is every nerve in my body? Why does it feel like, you know, you have to sit and pay attention, you know, especially like when 5G came along. Right. And it went to like yeah. 6G because it's definitely 6G right now. I don't care what anybody's saying. They're probably working. It's probably at seven for all I fucking know, because you can feel the difference. And it's not because I'm a thousand years old. You know, it's no. you can feel it. Sometimes, you know, you'll hear the humming, you know, and I'll be like, do you hear that? And they're like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I'm like a dog yeah. and cat in this fucking house. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I don't hear that. Like, <laughs> I hear the humming too. Yep. And so it's almost like, okay, so why am I able to tap into this and others aren't? But then when I speak to people like yourself or Cam, it's like, oh my God, yeah. Or like Sophie, it's like, oh my God, yeah, the time. And I'm like, okay, I'm not a crazy lunatic bitch. <laughs> yeah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. okay, I know, you know, yeah. you guys are not going to say it just because I'm saying it. It's like, no, nah, I never heard that. Explain it to me, you know? Because there, there are things, right? There are things that happen. And so, no, I, I, I totally get it. And so with me saying you have to pour into them, and sometimes you're inadvertently doing it. So having a conversation, wherever you're doing the show and stuff, and, you know, one of the children are, like, listening in the backdrop. You don't think they're listening, but they do, right? It's like the mother that yeah. gossips about everyone in the family. And then you go to something, and the child says, well, you said she doesn't know how to cook. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. I, you wasn't yeah. supposed to say that, right? And so right. it, it becomes that I, I it was one time my my daughter she, at the time she was like uh she's about thirteen or fourteen she loves to go to the mall right to everything she's fabulous right yeah. and so yeah. uh her, her her one of her older cousins said to her oh you're not tired of giving your money to the white man and my daughter turned around and and, and she looked at her and she said to her um. That's called the bankers, and they're Jewish, and uh, white people don't own anything. And inflation is on the rise. So if I'm going to get a deal, I'm going to get it today because today's prices are not tomorrow prices. And she turned on her heels and went to the mall. So it's those <laughs> moments where you kind of go, I'm going to shut the fuck up now because apparently this fucking kid is listening. And so yeah. it is what it is, right? So it's like, oh, okay, well, there we go. They're, they're listening. Exactly. That's kind of correlates to what we were saying earlier about these conversations that we're having now. You know, I like to think the way that Trudane thinks in the sense that when we talk about we're doing the radio show, you know, we're getting this sort of energy boost that I like to think the way he does that this broadcast could potentially be heard by every single person on the planet. I mean, it's not very likely, but the capacity is there for it to happen, right? So we could have every single person on the planet hearing us. And uh, brother, y'all thinking too small. <laughs> you're thinking too small. You're t you're talking about the ants on this planet. I'm talking about the yeah. radio frequencies that go out into space. Yeah, they that meet over at Trappist Three. <laughs> Yeah. That part, right? Where you're like, they're listening to this guy named Mike. Someone translate, right? And they're like, yeah. oh, shit. How does he know that? How does he know about the Anunnaki? How does he know about my great, 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 
underling, whatever the hell yeah, they call right. it. Right? <laughs> How does this human know someone, something about a library, something about, yeah. <laughs> you know, papers or un, uh, declassified papers or something yeah, like right. that? Well, like what you were talking about with the influence that, you know, our, our conversations have and to to make these conversations, I hate to put it this way, but to make them more mainstream, you know, and that's what I'm sure that you you do in your house. I mean, and that's what I mean by like the sphere of influence that we float around in. Most of the people that listen to the show are going to be like minded and have probably had similar, you know, uh, avenues and similar information they've been exposed to. You know, but to be able to set an example is to, and not that I'm trying to pat ourselves on the back like we're these, you know, like we're these pathfinders or we these, you know. Um, fuck, fuck that, Mike. We're fucking awesome sauce, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, like, you know, we're, we're blazing, we're in a way, we're kind of blazing new trails by making the conversation more mainstream and giving an example of how to approach it. But then once that example is kind of seen and used and taken in, then it gets down more into the meat of the conversation as to what exactly we're able to talk about. And I've always felt that if there's something that you believe in and if you talk about it, like it's just normal conversation and you don't have fucking you don't give two shits like if they think that you're some tinfoil hat wearing motherfucker you know like a conspiracy theory and all that shit I don't know, fuck that dude for me it's conspiracy facts there's the information that we come across and then we share with each other you know like when we were talking about that feeling like you have that feeling and I wanted to describe it as when you have your alarm set and your body knows that you slept past your alarm and you've got that feeling like you wake up, you just wake up knowing something's wrong. Like you can't put your finger on it right exactly at that moment, but you know something's wrong. And then you, you can tell by the, how light the room is. And it just, it starts to come to you like, Oh shit, I think I overslept. Right. And you look at the clock and you see, yeah, you did you confirm it. And then, it, you know, you kind of get that little pit in your stomach like, fuck, you know, I need to. And then you start scrambling to go. But it's that instant that that moment that you wake up and you know something's wrong. But you can also know that something's right. You know what I mean? You get the same feeling on the positive side of that vibrational frequency because the universe is a dual a duality. If you're going to have that negative feeling, that negative feeling when you wake up and you know you overslept and you've got the you know, equal force of positive to balance that out, whatever that positive balance is for that particular you know, emotion, but it's just that it's setting the example on how to have the conversation once we go, then the actual meat and the specifics and then when people realize that we're talking to our children like this because this is the what we understand consciousness or this reality to be by discussing it with our children 
collectively what we're doing is we're actually adding to the pool of knowledge that's available because now by sharing an understanding that we have of the day-to-day or the mundane or the interactions we can have by sharing that and preparing them at a younger and younger age then it becomes more ingrained and it just becomes normal everyday behavior for them and so now when that passes down to theirs then it's just going to be even you know exponentially more than what it is with us now you know what i mean if that (laughs) makes sense oh no i get it now here's my thing are you you're familiar with bob lazar right yep you're right and uh, I, I kind of wanted to play a, 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 a clip here. Believe it or not, I'm not into UFOs. I don't follow stories or, you know. Even listen. after your experiences? No, I'm fascinated with the technology. And I, I it really it irks me like every night I go to sleep that, you know, I don't, that it was my own doing, essentially, that that prevented me from continuing on in the in the project. I mean, it's the... That to be on that cutting edge of technology is so alluring to me. Right. But, you know, by the same token, I don't really care that there's aliens or where they come from. I mean, the prize is the technology, and that's what I'm fascinated by. But So I don't listen to UFO stories and that sort of thing. But George Knapp is, um, I mean, he's the guy that has the contacts and tries to thread everything together. And uh, what he recently told me is he found... I don't know, it was either documentation or people that he spoke to. It's that this, the existence of this project, the project that I was on, it's something that they seem to take out every eight or ten years. So that's a very specific memo, and this is actually, I, this is the first time I'll be very clear with people about it. It's a big topic of conversation right now. It's called the Wilson Memo. You can look it up. Admiral Wilson met with a scientist who actually was featured in one of my films, Everybody has been debating whether or not this document of a conversation with a with a sitting admiral at the time is a real document. It, it's an actual conversation that happened, and this document is real. Everybody wants to know the world is going crazy right now in the UFO world. I'll tell you straight up right now, I'm in the position to know, and it is a real document, that it is real. So the conversation you read in that, that conversation was had. I can't attest to every... I don't, you're not being very clear. Sure. Please. Like, no problem. So it, there was a document that is circulating right now that is really big. It's going around everywhere. People are asking and wondering. What is this document? It's called the Wilson Memo is what, how you can find it online. The, or the Wilson Leak. There it is. Jimmy's got it. The Wilson Memorandum. Use uh, of human volunteers. No, 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 no. No, sure that was it, yeah. no that's oh, not okay, it. Okay, yeah. okay. So... Uh, Admiral Wilson meets with this scientist and they have this discussion, oddly enough, at special projects at EG&G. And I, if I remember, the document is from 2001. I'm telling everybody right now, it's real. And we'll see, my history is pretty good with like saying if something's real or not, right? So here we go. The document comes out. They meet at EG&G special projects. In 1989, they, they stumble into a problem. This happens. They put the technology away and then they bring it back out and see if material science has caught up and if they can make any progress. So this document kind of talks about this process. The big thing I get from it, and a lot of it's vindicating to Bob, and one of the things it's vindicating besides the EG&G thing, is that private industry, so this guy's an admiral, and he says, I, sh- I found out about your SAP, your special access program. I need to know about it. 
and he's going to a, a, a private part of industry and he is denied access. And he says, I, you know, I should be running this program. And they were able to deny him access. So I think the takeaway here is check it out. I'm telling you that that is an actual correct. That is a leak. Now, everything said in that document, I'm, I don't know. What are you talking about? What, what is said in that document specifically? It's, it's uh, between a scientist and, and an admiral that are sitting and they're having a, a meeting and they're talking about um, the, the search for the, the UFO subject, the search to get special access program access to all of these different things like reverse engineering programs. So in this document, they talk about it. Uh, I believe that the, this document, the, the person that went was employed by Robert Bigelow, you know, one of the guys that has a couple yes. orbiting satellites and all that stuff. Who's he's been the guy who owns Skinwalker Ranch. No, he's not. No? He was the guy that owned he used Skinwalker. To own it. Okay. Yeah, he used to own it. There's a new owner, and I, I interviewed him for my other film, but there's a new owner, and you'll be hearing a lot more about that soon. But, uh, like, it'll just, there's, there's stuff that you'll be hearing about Skinwalker Ranch soon because there's a new owner. Anyway, the, the whole point of this in, you know, insertion here is just that that document kind of validates a lot of this idea Bob just said, that they make a little progress, then they can't go anywhere. They tuck it away, and then they bring it back out you know, 10 years later and start working on it. What is the limiting factor? I think Bob should speak on this, but it's the material science. You yeah, know, it's really where physics is, so I, I, can, I can see them doing that. I mean, I didn't have any... Uh, information on that but i think what you know george uncovered is probably accurate that uh you know we try and do what we can and once we reach a roadblock going we really can't figure it out it's just friggin' wait put the thing away wait for science to catch up and you know a decade later let's take the project out again and see all right now where can we go but, but there's got to be someone who remains informed, right? Oh, like, yeah. So you've got your scientists like you and Barry. You've got your people that you compartmentalize. You've got these people working on Yeah, there project. has to be some people right. that know everything. You've got security, and then someone's going to be on the outside saying, hey, we need people to guard this building. Don't let anybody in for 10 years. I, th yeah, I think a lot of that is private industry, and I think that's how really? they keep it. Yeah, I think that's how they litter because the government is just so leaky. I think that's kind of what they're doing. That's what the document kind of proves. You just articulated that, that um, it is in control of private industry. What private yeah. industry? Some aerospace company, something? I don't know. Yeah, they wouldn't, they would, the guy, the admiral wouldn't name it in the car, right. in the conversation. Right. Yeah. So they still have these things supposedly i would guess i mean i don't have any information on have that you ever asked anyone that has any inkling of any idea of where they got them or how they got them no but um something must have been said to me um from barry and but i i it was just too long ago and i i can't quite remember what was said but it it just left a seed in my mind. I think at least one of them was part of an archaeological dig. So it's old. Something one At least one of them is old. I don't know if it was the one I worked on, but I remember something to do with an archaeological dig. Whoa. So that's uh, that means it's not just old, it's ancient. That'd be a great Steven Spielberg movie. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> as all of it would. Yeah, yeah that tripped me out when he said that for the first time. Yeah. That's a freak out right yeah. there. Just a couple of dudes with some brushes looking for a Tyrannosaurus Rex bone. They and, hit metal. And when did they find it? You know, that, that they have nine of them. Yeah. Well, and 
how could we have not heard about that? What about the guys with the brushes? How could yeah. you uncover something like that? And well, Joe's newspaper at home does. I mean, they said it on that first day. Oh, you mean the Roswell yeah, Daily Record? Yeah, the one you yeah. told me. Yeah. yeah, I have a cover. What is this here, Jamie? This is the document, but I, it, I had to do some digging to find it. Yeah, <laughs> it's just kind of, yeah, so this is where they meet at EG&G, and this is Admiral Wilson, and there's a lot more coming out. Now, I want to be clear. George didn't put this out. He didn't leak this out to anybody. This is, I can tell you how I- Who recorded I, this, this conversation? So this was an employee of, at the time, Robert Bigelow. And this is in 2002? Right. Do you remember when he had that government contract called OSAP, the world all knows about now? And he had NIDS that studied the ranch. So that $22 million, everybody is saying it was for ATIP, um, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. The $22 million was for OSAP that was pushed through through Congress, three congressmen, right? An astronaut. It was pushed through. And that's what that $22 million, by the way, they spend more money on Viagra every year than they do studying UFOs if it was just this program, which I think is funny. They probably make the a lot more money from Viagra they than probably they do, do the, from UFOs too. Well, you never know how it seeds into population. But anyway, uh, this program... Uh, this is what was the mother program. So it, it got the $22 million, And really, it was to study Skinwalker Ranch. Oddly enough, that $22 million all was inspired by the phenomenon they were seeing at Skinwalker Ranch. Because the scientists, they're seeing vehicles come through like a space in the sky. Yeah, we went there. I went there right. with Duncan. Yeah, we we you, interviewed a bunch of people that seemed full of shit, but a couple that didn't. But it was the, very, very interesting. Totally. And it, it, there's, but in, if you look, I spent a lot of time in the area. I'm not talking about those stories. I'm saying there were scientists hired by the government, right, through Bigelow to study the ranch because they thought it was important. And, you know, whatever, whatever. The point is that $22 million was to study that. Then we have ATIP, which is like an auxiliary kind of program of military sightings, like Commander Fravers and that sort mm -hmm. of thing. This document is just one of those things that has now come forward that um, through the Bigelow studies, it was government funded, and then it was personally funded and then government funded. Um, it's just one of those things that kind of shakes you because you got this military guy who can't get access because of the private industry that's holding these non-terrestrial materials that they can't study it so that's the the claim right now give it some time let people dig more into this it's fascinating what do you think about that you know the first thing that came to mind was a man named john lear and i think he's part of the i think he was the son of the man that invented the lear jet um and i believe john lear used to run in the circles with um, Bob Lazar. I think he's got a lot of Bob Lazar stories, but there was another, another one who I can't, I can't think of his name right now, but he's the one that uh, in his videos, he discusses the dumbs, the deep underground military bases and how he was in, uh, I think he was in Nevada digging tunnels and they ended up digging and dug into a cross tunnel and there was a, a shootout with like an alien, the aliens that they had in the dumps in Nevada. But he talked about this material that you know that came from space or Phil Snyder. Not, Phil Snyder. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. He's kind of a Phil. Yeah, Phil. That's it exactly. But he was talking about some materials that he was able to see in some of the uh, some of the facilities that he was in in one of the dumps. But when 
I hear Bob talking about because in the in the information and in the videos that I was watching with John Lear, and like I say, if I remember correctly, John Lear would was running with Bob Lazar like he like Bob would call John if there was something that he was working on that he could show him. Like I believe it was Bob that called him about they had reverse engineered some alien craft and they were taking it for a test flight. And so Bob was able to tell John and, and I guess another person or two where they could sit on the hill to kind of overlook the rise to be able to see the craft, you know, so they were kind of hidden, but apparently they didn't hide too well. And when Bob talks about it being some of the more ancient material, well, John Lear has stories about mining operations on the moon and on the dark side or what's we're told is the dark side. And he's got a lot of pictures and photographs. So if you guys are interested, um, check out John Lear because he talks about the mining operations on the moon. It's really kind of fascinating. Well, wait a second. Before we could talk about John Lear, I need you to listen to this, brother. A famed Nevada aviator known for his world records and his UFO activism has died. John Lear passed away in his sleep Tuesday night at his Las Vegas home. That's according to Lear's daughter, Allison. He was 79. Now, Lear is the son of Bill Lear, who developed the Lear jet. The son, though, carved out his own path, setting multiple world records as an aviator. During the Vietnam era, he flew cargo planes for the CIA. Then in the 1980s, Lear became an outspoken critic of an alleged government cover-up of UFOs. His interviews here on Channel 8 were seen all over the world. Lear's friendship with a scientist named Bob Lazar helped put the Area 51 military base on the map. Fucking insane. He died eight days ago. God damn it. No shit. Wow. I know that's the first I'd heard of that. Wow, that, exactly. I, I I haven't seen it on I haven't seen it on any social media. Like you you just happen to be talking about it. You know when you talk, I like to look at shit, right? Um, so <laughs> right, I believe you, but I like to believe my eyes too. And so, and so to see like he just passed, and I'm like, I don't hear anybody talking about this man, right? Yeah, that's quite interesting. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? That's and how that's, important he was. See, yeah, and that's exactly what I what I mean by this. You and I having these conversations and having and giving the example for people on how to have conversations like this, and then once they get past that, then getting into the meat of it. By getting into the meat of it, now we now we can actually start to see the you know the synchronicity of things, and that's where that positive, that true feeling of knowing what is. You know, like we know what is what is right. We know it in your gut, what's right and what's correct. And so, for you to find that, and you know, the disappointing news is that he passed. But what I would say, I don't want to say, I don't want to diminish him in, in any way whatsoever, because he's he's had a lot of influence in, in what I see and my you know understanding of the way things are going. So, I mean, John Lear was a pretty important researcher for me personally. And so it's it's disappointing to hear that he passed. That was really, wow. Yeah. I and mean, the synchronicity is, like, amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what? And and just for the audience to know, because, you know, sometimes, you know, people listen to conversations. They don't really deep dive. Me, myself, if I hear something, I'll kind of like stop it, pause it, check it out. Do you get what I'm saying? As I'm going, yeah. I'm growing, right? But everyone studies differently. They're like, oh, shit, I was supposed to do that. Oh, shit, I was take, supposed to take a piss. I'm about to piss myself. Let me get to the bathroom. I like to just yep. go and do that. But um, I want you to listen to this. Welcome back to On the Record. The subject is UFOs. We're about to see part of a documentary. Uh, John, perhaps you could introduce it. It deals with the 14,000 cattle mutilations that happened. That's right, and we were particularly prevalent around Colorado, New Mexico, uh, Arizona, and uh, Utah. And it was a documentary made by Linda Moulton Howe uh, for the CBS affiliate in Denver. And let's take a look at that now, a piece of it. Going to die each year from hard winters, disease, lightning strikes, predator attacks, and other natural causes. But in northeastern Colorado, another favorite spot for the mutilators. Tex Graves, former sheriff of Logan County, insists the 93 mutilated carcasses he investigated were not natural deaths. Now, the very first one we had was southwest of Sterling. Uh, when we first looked at it, it was just unbelievable uh, that you could take an animal and do this too without uh, leaving some kind of track, some kind of evidence behind, such as uh, cigarette butts, matches, handprints, footprints, but there was nothing. Uh, the animal looked almost horrible, and it was something that uh, I didn't really want to believe then. And there was, uh, we probably had had five or six others before I, I really did believe something strange was going on. We had one up north where we believe the animal was paralyzed and was alive when it was being mutilated. An eye and an ear, the uh, tongue, the rectal area was taken out, but the animal dug a hole with its head, but none of the other parts of the body moved, not even the legs. Six north of town on a very hard pasture, almost like hard brick. We found tripod marks 12 inches across. Now, the tripod marks were 14 feet apart. We found one set that had gone in the ground roughly eight inches. And it would take a good post hole digger or, or shovel to dig in like this. It indicated something very heavy had sat down in this area, yet there was no tracks leading from it nor to it. Almost nightly when this was going on, uh, we could pick out a very brilliant, huge, brilliant light in the sky. We had a newsman take pictures of it with a very high-powered lens, but all we got out of this was the movement of it and the light showing very brilliant. Several times we observed enough smaller lights come out of this aircraft and then come down toward Earth. This huge, brilliant light would hang in the air and then when it would move, it could move up and down, backwards, forwards, travel very rapidly. And after a while, these smaller lights would join up with the larger one and then they'd disappear. Lou Gerardo is the chief investigator for the district attorney's office in Trinidad, Colorado. Extraterrestrials are the ones mutilating animals. What do you think the implications are then for this planet? Throughout the mutilations, all of us involved have been concerned with the possibility of the mutilations going from animals to human beings. 
understandable. Thank God to this point it hasn't happened. Uh, whatever they're doing with the portions of these animals they are taking, I haven't the slightest idea. There's a reason for it. It's not haphazard. There's a pattern to it. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, a wait-and-see game. What else can we do? If we do have beings from outer space doing this, with the capabilities to do things like this, uh, what can we as a human race do? If they uh, have the knowledge and the technology that it looks like they have, uh, we're powerless. So maybe uh, it's a wait-and-see game. I can't see anything else to do. Well, he says uh, the mutilations have not gone from animals to humans yet. Uh, you agree with that? Uh, I, there have been some humans. It's a very, very sensitive subject. Uh, I'm going to steer away from that. But uh, I will tell you that uh, since the beginning of this year, there have been uh, over 200 animal mutilations on Long Island. It's uh, supposedly a big secret. I know that there's four major law enforcement investigations, uh, investigators, uh, working in plain clothes. On Long Island, on Long New York? Island, yeah, Long Island, New York. We have a, an investigator uh, working with us who's sending us videotape uh, uh, and keeping us informed of what's going on. So it, it still is a problem. And you say it's food. That's what they're doing. <clears throat> well, food or genetic experiments, uh, take your choice. Now, uh, it hasn't gone maybe to the point of where they're mutilating humans, but you do believe there are abductions. And, uh, and you also believe that at one point there may have been some kind of a clash between American military forces and uh, these UFOs? That's one of the stories. Uh, when we began to discover what I call the Grand Deception uh, was in 1979, and apparently there was some kind of clash. Uh, 1983 is the date that I call that we finally recognized that we had made a disastrous mistake. And uh, that's when MJ-12 realized that they were in deep, deep trouble. They had made uh, a deal with these people, and it had not uh, worked out. And now the question was what to do. you got about a minute left. Um, what would you like to say to people out there to prepare them for it? Now, you've made allusions a couple of times when I've had you on the program that uh, something is coming. We've heard that before, something is coming. Why do you think something is coming, what's coming, and how should we get ready for it? There's really no way to get ready for it. The reason I think it's coming is because I have contacts within the government that uh, tell me that they're bracing themselves for something but they're not going to tell us about it. George, maybe the cover-up was in our best interest, maybe not. Maybe the government underestimated the intelligence of the American people and decided we just couldn't handle it. But let me tell you this, the truth is still the truth, and nothing can change that. Not the military, not the government, and not me. John Lear, thank you very much. It's wow, 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 wow. <laughs> you know, he said something in there that... Uh, relates to what we were talking about in one of the earlier parts to Behind the Curtain is the Griotta Treaty, the treaty with the Greys that I think it was Eisenhower signed. But it, when the, during the Griotta Treaty, right after the signing of the Griotta Treaty, was the impetus between behind uh, forming the Majestic 12, or what he called the MJ-12, that was the goes back to the Blue Planet Project, that we were talking about where the MJ-12 was a group that was formed to document and uh, research and document every non-terrestrial species that visits this planet. 
and uh, the Blue Planet Project is the is the compilation of their list. And a list, I think, at the moment is like 138 different species that have visited, according to this Blue Planet Project. That was interesting that he mentioned MJ, MJ12 because that correlates to the discussions we were having about the gratitude. And that's what he was talking about when he, when he said these people, you know, they they broke the agreement. And he's talking about MJ-12, and that's uh, when they were mutilating the cows. And it's funny because I, I saw a movie about that years and years ago when, when it was actually discovered what was going on. I remember they made a, a movie about it where they were mutilating the cows and the balls of light, I think, were what was the inspiration behind uh, the Spielberg alien movie with the... Which one? Third Kind? Cocoon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Third Kind. Close Encounters. That was the the lights were the inspiration for the Close Encounters from the the ships that were used in the Griotta Tree. There was also a I remember hearing something about it in the news, but then also they made that movie about it, but the Griotta Tree, and then he was talking about how they, they, they broke the agreement. Well, that was the Greys basically told the humans, you know, <laughs> fuck out, there's nothing you can do to us anyway, so we're just going to do what we want. We just, But then he also talked about a study, and um, there was something called the Brookings Institute, they, they did this study to try to determine what would happen if full disclosure of this alien you know, interaction and this tree between this alien species was made public. So they were trying to determine what would be the response. And uh, they came up with the fact that it would... It would cause a complete collapse of the social structure because it would completely eliminate the religious aspect because people would, would now know that we're not alone in the universe. It would uh, it would destroy the sciences because they assume that these you know, extraterrestrial people have greater technology and that our sciences are so far behind. And then I think the other thing was that it would break the political system because people, you know, the the divisions of the countries around the world would dissolve because now people would know that we're part of a larger community. So that's what he was talking about right in that same time frame with the MJ-12 comment and talking about the Brookings Institute and doing their study and... Uh, what would happen and that's why they've never disclosed they've never come out with full disclosure because they you know the, the, what's called the that institute that they or that study that they did research into what would happen it's, but John Lear is actually I'm, you know I'm, I'm glad that he came up in the conversation thank you I'm grateful to the universe that we get to talk about John because he's got some. It's you know, it's like paying homage, right? It's it's paying homage to yeah. someone, especially someone that freshly has just died. Yeah, that's that's amazing. That, you know, I mean, really, in 
I mean, if I stop and think about it, I don't think I've ever actually had a conversation with somebody just in my circle of friends, not including the people that I've had conversations with in social media, you know, whether I was doing like Instagram lives or whatever, because I know John Lear's name came up in some of those conversations, but just, uh, you know, a normal face-to-face conversation at the gas station or the, you know, the corner store or whatever, the bank, whatever, you know, the subject of John Lear, I don't think has ever come up. And to have that interaction now where his name comes up and then we, you know, the, the, the very thing that we're discussing based on the, the first uh, interview, the Rogan show with Bob Lazar. And then we just talk about John Lear and then you pull that up and it's like a week ago and he's been gone for a week and we're already, as you say, paying homage I'm just, I'm just saying, the, the man's ancestor, you know, basically when people kind of go, right, with, with, <sighs> this place is so funny because you can be, you can be the greatest person that you are to the people that's in your life. And you could do so many wonderful things. And, and one of the things I've said to you was that my whole thing is this, this three way of dying that, and I, I know maybe, maybe that's the vanity that I do have, right? I, I'm not into the makeup and the hair and all that shit. But for me, it's, it's like, you know, the first one is just the body ceasing to function. The second one is when they put you in the fucking grave. And the third one is in the future when someone says your name for the last fucking time, you're gone. Yeah. You, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, that was so profound when you said that to me. That, I mean, just to stop and to think about that, to ponder that for a minute, you know, from it's like I had never really thought about that. That at some point in the future, somebody would say your name for the very last time. Not on my watch, not on my watch while I'm alive or I'm dead because these radio motherfucking waves will be forever. <laughs> For, well, if I, I mean, have anything to do with it, and for looking at things from that perspective, it's like I'm, I'm so I'm even. It just makes me so much more grateful to the way that, you know, like for to pause, you know, to pause for a second. I've always felt that before we decided to become what we are, we made a choice that that is what we were going to become. Right, so we wrote ourselves our own script. Whether we were part of the the universal consciousness and we were deciding to take this particular ride on our on our infinite Coney Island, and you know we're going to do this ride again, or you know, it may, I mean, for some of us, this may be the first time that we're incarnating as a, a person on this planet, in this realm, in this dimension, in this experience. You know, so some of us may be having this experience for the first time. I mean, I can tell some, the ones that are here for the first time. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I can tell. Well, you might also have some that are here for the millionth time, you know, or the billionth time. They might actually like it that much. But, uh, uh, you yeah, know, so we're, before we decided to become what we are, we basically wrote ourselves a script, and that's the script that we're playing in our experience that we're having. And so 
So we we decided what we were going to do and what we are before we even, you know, became it. And for me, when you when you had said it that way, it was so freaking profound because it's like you know that in in the within the parameters of the experience that we're having now, right? In the so I like to tell I like to tell people that the the religious system that or the belief system that you adhere to, right? You're giving consent to be ruled by the dictates of that belief system, right? So if you're say a Christian or a Muslim or a Buddhist or you are a leftist or a rightist or you are a, you know, a him, they, them, her, their, whatever, the alphabet, soup, plus, Q, you know, whatever belief system you decide to adhere to, that's the belief system that you're consenting to be guided by or, you know, and so those different systems that control and guide they're 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 shit it's those systems that are put in place are designed to keep us from understanding you know what you and I understand and converse about and so bringing that to the next generation hopefully they'll have a better understanding of the importance of making sure that in the infinite future, the availability for somebody to say your name is left there. And for, you know, I'm forever grateful to you for, for allowing me that opportunity. Not everybody in the world gets that opportunity. You know, social media. I'm going to I'm going to give you real with you. And I just said this to another host tonight. You know, tomorrow uh, it's Miss Max. She's going to do an interview with Sophia Stewart. And she said to me, oh, my God, I am so internally grateful to you. I would probably never meet this lady. And I said to her, let's pretend I'm not here. What is for you is for you. Yeah, right. Yeah. Do you get oh, what I'm yeah. saying? What is for you is for you. I think about William Cooper and how, you know, he did a show called The Hour of our time or the hour of the time. I didn't know that's what his show was called when I decided to call this the hour, even though we'd be going over the hour, but (laughs) you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's almost like it's part of the whole DNA thing, right? We just carry on and we go on through, you know, what is that? Six degrees of separation where you will find your way through the journey, right? You're, you're here, you know, in the mall, you're here and you're trying to go over there. And, and yeah. okay, you'll take the escalator. Okay, I'll take the elevator. Okay, I'll take the steps. I'll go downstairs first. It just depends on how people get there. Now, some people just like standing in the same fucking spot, but that's on them. And so, for me, I, I thank you. I thank you for the compliment. But, brother, in your own right, you are brilliant. And, and when I say brilliant, it's because you took the time to sit and listen to something that most people would hear and just reject it. Do you get what I'm saying? You, you, you're a man of faith. You know, and and you've been through different periods in your life where you're like, well, this is where I'm at now. I didn't start here. And when I got to the middle, I wasn't here. 
Do you get what I'm saying? So I, yeah. I want you to, I, I really want you to expound on to the audience. How did you get here? Like, what was that first thing that you heard that made you go, oh, shit. Why can I identify with this shit right now? Well, I mean, it's, for me, it's been a, it's really been a lifetime almost, you know, because, because of the person that my mom was, you know, she, she gave me a book as a young man and I always had a vivid imagination was always independent. I mean, I was three years old and I walked, uh, I think it was almost three quarters of a mile from my house down the busy street. Now it was a, a 40 mile an hour speed limit. And, uh, I was three years old and I walked from my house to the, uh, local ice cream store, you know, the, like the dairy queen or the dairy Q or whatever it is, you know, just a little soft serve ice cream. Uh, um, I want to say kiosk, you know, almost. So basically but, no money, a pamper on going to get you some sweets. Okay. Yep. I'm going to get me some ice cream. So I've always been independent, but my mom introduced me to a book called Jonathan Livingston. Seagull. And it's written by a man named Richard Bach. Well, she gave this to me when I was probably you know, 12, maybe 13. And the premise to the story is that there's one individual um, seagull. And it, the setting of the book is it takes place within the flock of you know, a seagull community. And it's the dichotomy of the individual bird and what, you know, Jonathan wants to do is to learn how to fly. And when he wants to learn how to fly, I mean, really fly. And he's out practicing every day to learn how to fly. And he's not built for the mundane, everyday, you know, existence of the flock, which is just circling the fishing boats and just, you know, bickering and fighting and quarreling for little scraps of fish, you know. And hopefully they don't get their heads bashed in by the fishermen. But Jonathan is isolated and he's by himself and he's uh, he's put himself sort of into this self-isolation or self-exile because all he can think about doing is practicing his flying. And he learns the way that his wings work and how he can manipulate his wings and his tail feathers and his body shape to you know achieve these certain uh, maneuvers that he's attempted and in doing that he finds the confidence because he's you know at first he's torn between his abilities of being a seagull and the norm of you know blending in and participating with the flock at the behest of his parents who are you know embarrassed by his behavior because it's so far beyond what the norm is and so Jonathan, through his progressions of you know, practice and achieving certain goals that he sets for himself, he finds that he's able to now travel. He's able to fly much greater distances and using much, much less energy. So he's capable of flying a lot further inland away from the sea. And he finds that he's getting more succulent 
food to eat, you know, insects and uh, fresher waters to drink and all of that. So he's finding a lot of benefits to his. Well, one of the things that he um, doesn't realize, because during the during his course of practice and one of his maneuvers, he ends up hitting a cliff wall. But in the instant that he hits the cliff wall, it's there's this flash of light and he's transformed into a, a newer, greater version of himself that when he sort of levels up, so to speak, for lack of a better way to paint it, when he levels up to this next incarnation, his base abilities are... He's a he's a novice at this new level, and his novice abilities are like infinitely greater than his expert abilities at the level he just left, right? And so the idea is that through this self exile and this isolation that Jonathan puts himself into, he not only does he learn the benefits of the techniques that he's teaching, but he's also learning how to survive on his own away from the flock and that he's discovering that, you know, there's confidence in by walking your own path, you know, and being a lone wolf, there's confidence in that. And, you know, my mother gave that to, I think all of her children, a copy of it to read at that age. And you know, what that did for me was it allowed me to think, more along the lines of the uh, the impossible, you know, and and sort of uh, not necessarily adhering to the standard uh, description of what the impossible is, you know, if that makes sense. Well, I, I have a saying, right? Nothing is impossible. There are things that. Are- improbable but at the end of the day with multi-universes and different uh universes and milky ways everything everything is fucking possible (laughs) yeah well i've come to learn at the age that i'm at that all things all possibilities exist at the exact same moment you know so it's at this all time all everything it all exists simultaneously at this in at this particular instance you know so at, at this particular instance not only are we in the experience that we're in right now but we are also you know having the experience as george washington we're also having the experience of being julius caesar you know, we're also having the experience of being in you know some future form or fashion because everything exists at the same moment and the the example i would often use with that is that i had a friend or i have a friend social media friend who lives in italy and you know on a side note it's i i don't want to say it's irritating but it's a little disappointing that we have to sort of uh differentiate between the uh, flesh and blood friends that we interact with on a daily basis in our physical sphere of influence and then our you know social media friends that we have to make that distinction 
I mean, I just like to say that they're all friends, but anyhow. Now, let me stop you. I like. Let me tell you why it's not a problem. I like that you're doing that. You know why I like that you're doing that? I once came upon a lady that I was doing some work for, and um, she said to me that she was having a baby shower, but some things didn't happen, and something fell through, and she stopped talking to her best friend, and whatever, whatever. And I had felt so bad for her, right? Because sometimes I feel bad for people. And sticking my nose where I have no business sticking it. And she said to me, uh, I've invited 200 people to this baby shower. And I'm thinking, uh-huh. my God, you know, it's a lot of people. I'd be like, disgusted yeah. that I, you know, I just, my phone has <laughs> a lot of people, but I'm not calling these people. And do you know that the 200 people she was talking about, excuse me, the 180 people were from Facebook? <laughs> That's uh, madness. Yeah. She invited the people from Facebook to her baby shout. I, I, I'm I'm about yeah. energy. I'm about energy, and sometimes what goes on behind the keyboard is behind the keyboard. Now, <laughs> would I like to come visit you guys and play a video? Hell, fucking yeah! Because I feel like we're family. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, but absolutely. as far as me going to meet the fucking four thousand people on my Instagram. Um, right. I'm okay. I could barely deal with my own family, and so, <laughs> so I. It's okay to differentiate. It, it it's really okay. It's it, it's okay because it kind of says, you you have a category and you have boundaries and all these things. That's what it says. That's well, what it says. Too, I like to think that the idea being that you know we're all we're all in that situation where, you know, we make we make friends, but. There's a difference in a personal flesh and blood interaction and the electronic interaction, you know, because I feel like in the electronic keyboard interaction, people are a lot more, uh, they're a lot more open in their behavior, you know, but the, we're kind of getting a little sidetracked. The reason I mentioned and the reason I differentiate is that this I didn't, I didn't want people to think like, man, this dude's been all over the fucking world. Like, you know, like we were talking about, I think, uh, um, one of the, one of the episodes we were talking about my service in, in Germany, but yeah, so there's, there's potentially people could think, oh shit, this dude's got a friend lives in Italy. Well, it's a social media friend, but anyhow, the reason that I had mentioned her is that her, her time, uh, her time zone is like three hours ahead of mine. Right. So if I were talking to her, if I started talking to her at 11 o'clock at night, it would be 2 AM her time. Right. So it would be 11 AM my time on the day where I'm at. And it would be 2 AM on my future next tomorrow so her tomorrow become or my tomorrow becomes her today and my today becomes her yesterday right but so in effect she's living in my future and i'm living in her past right according to the <clears throat> concept or the idea of time or calendar you know so 
but yet we're both in a conversation that we call the present. So in that illustration, you have the past, the present, and the future that all exist at the exact same moment. And so that's why I was mentioning the, the idea that all possibilities exist at the exact same moment. So past, present, and future, and we're infinite. So, so in reality, I mean, well, the, the idea, if we really stopped and thought about it, is that each of us are just a fractal of the whole, and we're really each other. And that's where, that's what had started that <clears throat> for me, as far as like being open-minded to different concepts, you know, cause I went to school with a lot of people that were straightforward, straight laced, you know, my dad was like that. He was, you know, he, he got his news from the newspaper and no matter what, and he was watching the local news every day. And I mean, that's how I knew who some of the more infamous uh, local broadcasters were. You know, I was watching every day with him. And so he was one of those where he was, you know, fully, fully in, in lockstep with the system. And uh, um, my mom giving me that book it prepared me to be more open-minded. And then uh, I had heard something about, because I had a son, my middle son, is actually vaccine injured. And I don't have the documentation. I don't have proof. I don't have anything to back up that statement other than the fact that I know that he was vaccine injured. Um, but that reading that book allowed for the open-mindedness to be available when I heard about fluoride in the toothpaste and how it's actually got the number for poison control. And my daughter was walking with her toothpaste. I'm like, Hey, let me check. Let me look at it. And sure enough on the back of it, it said, uh, <clears throat> um, if more than a pea-sized amount is swallowed, call poison control immediately. And I was like, this is, you know, that's ridiculous. So I started doing a little more research on it. And then that's when I found that documentary, uh, Fluoride Poison on Tap. And you know, I've watched it several times. And there was a couple of things in there that led me off into another direction. And so that's what really started and then I got into the, the vaccine-related issues. And because of what happened with my son and the dis, his disposition and just the physical attributes, and I started researching vaccines, and when I started learning there, it was just like that just opened the book up to so many other, other mindsets or other possibilities. And... That's when I uh, <clears throat> started to question even my belief system at the time. And that's when I discovered the Anunnaki and was like, yeah, okay. Now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm fully, my antenna are fully uh, extended, you know. Wow. 
Well, too, that uh, that same author, Richard Bach, I wanted to mention another one of his books called The One, or One, pardon me, and it's uh, the idea and the premise behind it is that him and his wife are on a seaplane, and when they land on the water, immediately they're, they're sort of uh, chipped into these various experiences where they see themselves like it starts off in in their memories and like an example would be when they touch down on the water it suddenly flashes to their honeymoon and they're themselves you know him and his wife on their honeymoon and at you know the um the scene that plays out is he and his wife go and do their honeymoon dinner and you know, they dance together or whatever and walk the beach and then go back to their room. And Well, then uh, as they're riding in the elevator from their hotel room to go to dinner, they encounter like a, a, an older couple you know, that are, have weathered with age and they're, you know, set in their ways, but they're, they're the old, you know, uh, grandma and grandpa couple in the elevator with them and then you know they're the the newlyweds and then maybe somebody else in the elevator was like the the mom and dad that have a couple of kids you know the little family and so they take this elevator and go to dinner but then the scene ends and they're back in their seaplane and they're taking off and then they fly, and all they see is just open water. There's no land masses or anything. It's all just open water. And then when they land again on the sea, then it flashes. And now this time the scene might be the same, but instead of them being the newlyweds in the elevator, they're looking through the eyes of the old couple, right? And then they'll go through it again, and then they might be looking through the eyes of the family. And so then, you know, they meander off to dinner into their seat at their booth and they look around the restaurant and they see the guy that's sitting there, you know, eating his breakfast with his newspaper or they see the same family that's got the couple of kids putting them in the, you know, uh, putting them in their high chairs and then they might see the the high school kids that are meeting at that restaurant for a first date getting ready to go to a movie. And so the each time they go through a scene or the this process, they look through the different eyes. And so the idea is that if we stop and we think about it, you know, we've all been, we can all see ourselves in the different scenarios that play out. So like, for example, if you're sitting down at a restaurant and you're people watching, or if you're at the mall, and you're just people watching you can if you watch and observe you can actually put yourself into that exact scenario that you're watching unfold and you can picture it from a point of view perspective because in one form or another you you've been there you've had that experience and so that just it leads to the idea that we're all one and it goes back to that kind of that collective consciousness that, you know, with everything all existing, that we, that fractal kind of existence with all of us together, 
that are one. And if we look at it that way, then we can begin to see ourselves in each other. And that can, it can be beneficial because of our own self-preservation instinct. You know, so if we can see ourselves in others, we would be more likely to show kindness to them because we know we see ourselves, you know what I'm saying? So we're kind to ourselves. So we would do that to them because we are see ourselves in them. No, I I totally get it. And they're a fascinating couple of books. I like the way he writes too. Well, I have a question for you, right? Because the whole time I was like checking out that whole John Lear thing and they were talking about the mutilations of the cattle and they said, well, Thank God it hasn't happened to humans. And I thought to myself, well, there's fucking nine million people that go fucking missing every year in the United States. Oh, hello. Right. And then I thought about something. He says, you know, it's almost like we're waiting because they're coming for us. And I'm going to have a moment. I'm going to have an optimistic look at our government. They can't say I haven't been nice. I'm going to be nice for once. What if they knew? That they were looking to pick us off one by one. And they told us in 2020 about this Wuhan, uh, COVID, uh, China, well, you know, as Trump says it, uh, this thing to kind of have us stay inside, right? Because how else would you get people to stay inside? Tell them yeah. that you can't say the monster's coming. You have to make up something else. You can't say aliens are coming because people are going to look outside because we're nosy sons of bitches. And so what if the whole thing was for them to protect us? The government protect... Because some people, you know, America, it's America, America. I can't sing. But do you get what I'm saying? What if they knew they were coming? Because, you know, someone told me when Jeff Bezos and... um. Elon Musk, they went to space the other day. Remember, they went to space during everybody's supposed to be fucked up, but they get to go to space. Yeah. And yeah. someone told me they didn't really, they went to an intergalactic meeting. And I was like, really? And they was like, no, I'm getting this from top, top officials. And I was like, shut the, but that's what he means when he was saying, you know, the government is leaky. You know, when one yeah. human being finds out, they're going to tell someone, and that person's going to tell yeah. someone, here I am running my fucking mouth on the radio, but it's okay, I'm fine. Um, and yeah. so, what if that was it? Because one of the things they said they were talking about at the meeting was that they wanted Earth back. Yep. They wanted Earth back, but they didn't know how to, and I'm sure they could wipe us the fuck out. Do you get what I'm saying? But I mean, you have to have slaves. I mean, you can't just wipe everybody out. Who's supposed to gonna take? Who's gonna take out the trash? Who's gonna sweep? And so, what if that was the reason? Well, you know, the, <clears throat> the funny thing that you mentioned that is, I've I've actually had contemplated the idea that this <clears throat> vaccine. You know, I think we actually started to talk about it on one of the episodes, but like you get your you get your animals vaccinated, right, to protect them from diseases, but you also do that to protect you from getting diseases that they carry. And so, you know, what if this uh, COVID 
was a way, you know, when they released the China plague, it was a way for them because Moderna didn't start it, didn't even form as a corporation until 2010. So they've only been around for 10 years and they're one of the leading producers of this mRNA. That's because they've been working on that mRNA, that uh, IGT immunoprophylaxis or gene transfer technology for the last 10 years. Wait a second. Hold that thought for a second. Remember when he said we get the technology, we pull it out every 10 years because we don't know what the fuck we're doing with it. But go ahead. Yeah, exactly. Well, the I thought that maybe this China plague vaccine was to inoculate the populace against some of the or well to inoculate us to prevent us from spreading diseases to the non-terrestrials that are going to be introduced. Because that's part of Project Bluebeam. God damn it, Mike, I thought the same thing. What if this thing was something that, because they have to, you know, they can't touch us. We're disgusting. Um, We are disgusting creatures. And this is the only way for them to be able to come into contact with us. Actual physical, you know. Yeah. Because I, I, the, what I've speculated is that they've, they've done it in order to prepare people to be more docile when it comes to the frequency changes and some of the terraforming that they're doing. I'm seeing, just so you, just so you know, and I need to make the announcement for. Uh, I'm going to pause my thought for a second and I'm going to explain to these shadow creatures that are flying around my truck. If you guys want to maybe sit down and enjoy the conversation, show yourselves, that's fine. But stop trying to freaking distract me from what I'm talking about. All right. (laughs) Sorry about that. I just, I keep seeing them out of the corner of my eye and it's like, okay, Enough's enough already. You got my attention. What do you, you know, what do you want to know? Wait, what were the the lights? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's just, I keep, I'm I'm in the middle of trying to say something. I keep catching one of these shadow creatures out of the shadow people out of the corner of my eye. And, you know, it's, it's like, I get it. You know, I've got kids and I understand how they behave and how they, when you're in the middle of, and it's usually one of the most profound, like, prophetic, like, most wisest things that you, you come up with in your entire existence. And you're in the middle of trying to express it to them. And, of course, the, the one that's starving for the attention has got to, you know, start making a noise just loud enough to be higher, you know, volume than yours. And so you, then you got to stop exactly what you were saying and, okay here's my attention for you. What is it I can do for you? And then they look at you and go, Oh, no. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? And I know you were going on to another point when you talked about shadow people. Uh, normally I, I too see shadow people. I've, again, I like to tell you, I've not been diagnosed. I've gone to therapist. There's nothing wrong with me. I am just, you know, I've been through trauma. It is what it is. And so, <laughs> 
one time you know sometimes you kind of like you'll see them darting across or walking or just like in the corner of your eye or something like that in the streets i hate driving at night because that's when i see them a lot and i'm yeah. like oh shit i'm about to run somebody over you know and turn this into yeah. i know what you did last summer or some shit and basically this one time i had missed it my friend saw a shadow person walk into a man standing at a bus stop yeah so now when you are saying what you're saying, right? Because you're being, prof- the word is profound, right? You're being, you're like tapping into something. Who's to say that one of them hasn't just entered you and the rest of them are looking at the one that's in you. It's like, get the fuck out of him. <laughs> right. Well, see, the thing is that when the potential is there for that. However, when we make our disclaimer at the beginning of the show, I say that with an authority that is, I know and I understand well within the depths of my spirit that I have the authority to conduct myself as an equal. So those shadow people, it's some people might call it putting on the armor of God, you know, in the religious aspect of it. But it's more that I understand that I have the authority to conduct myself as an equal. And, you know, the, the parameters of this existence, the physical and the emotional, the spiritual, the container, all of it, it's, it runs on a vibrational frequency, and you have to have that harmony. And they will try, they may try, you know, because I understand that everything, there's a duality and there's a positive and a negative, you know, and... Just because they're shadow people in our understanding, the, the tendency is there to think of them as negative, you know, to think of them as an, a quote-unquote evil spirit, right? If you're becoming possessed by an evil spirit. Well, the, the truth of the matter is that there's positive and negative in those shadow people. You know, they're, that's just their particular... Uh, phasing in the in the electromagnetic spectrum or in the visible light spectrum that we can see that's just the vibrational phase that allows us to like see them and so when your vibrational frequency is more attuned and the things that we learn and how we learn and how we retain them and the influences for example like John Lear and some of the moon mining operations and when you watch his presentation for that it changes it attunes your vibrational frequency and that's where i was getting at with i think with what happened with my mom giving us this book to read jonathan livingston seagull it helped with the tuning of the vibrational frequency to allow for a better understanding and a higher capacity or capability of interacting with some of these unseen forces because you know, our eyes pick up like 0.00005% of the visible light spectrum and that makes up like 0.005% of the electromagnetic spectrum which is in turn you know another uh, almost indescribable fraction of 
the entire entirety of the universe, right? So the vibrational frequency that we can see and vibrate at the you know it's like when when you're able to do like the um, what do they do with like the black light and bacteria and all that like you you look with your eyes open and you can't see it and then they take out the ultraviolet light or whatever and the bacteria just starts shining and you're like ew man I can't believe I that's there you know and that's what we see with the shadow people that they're you know they're positive and negative forces behind that but if we know and understand that we have the authority to conduct ourselves as equals a lot of those interactions that would be negative or detrimental to us don't happen because those unseens know that they they have no they have no access they have no control they have no they have no standing they have no legal standing to come into us and try to do these things because we understand that we are equals and they need our consent and that's why we do the consent is because of the possibilities of the seen and unseen that surround us without us even knowing but they can still interact with us hear us and if they know that we understand that we have the authority to conduct ourselves as equals and they need our consent and we announce that we do not consent then we have uh, the chances of having a negative negatively impacting uh, situation in our discussion or in our, you know in our experience in our vibrational experience they know they can't fuck with us because you know you got to have consent right <laughs> and we but, don't give that so uh, i'm i'm gonna be like a, a whole five-year-old right now you know when i was young i used to like play with my shadow Mm-hmm. So to me, when I see shadow people, I'm not afraid because I have a shadow myself. And who's to say that shadow is not a stand-in for my shadow when it has to go on vacation? Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, too, it's the the interaction, you know, like they say Halloween or Samhain Day is the day that the veil between this world and what the Druids and the Wiccans used to call, or what they call the quote-unquote other world. And the other world is that unseen world that we don't know anything about. Now, Samhain Day is when that veil between the world that we know and the unseen world is thinnest. And that's where, you know, spirits or... Um, the fairy creatures were able to sort of pass through that veil for that amount of time and they could you know, they could take people or snatch them or possess them or and that's why the tradition of wearing a costume came out was to fool the spirits and the spirits would not know who was available for possessing, right? And the 
the idea for the jack-o'-lantern was Brand the Blessed. He was the first, apparently the first, you know, Britain to unite the, the tribes in Britain. And so they used to carve a pumpkin for every, one for every person in the house. And Brand the Blessed was uh, that leader that united them. And he was, his head was buried facing the sea and from that point no invading force had ever uh, you know, landed on the shores of Britain but then it was also to protect the people of the household from the creatures of the other world on Samhain Day and that's what the jack-o'-lantern or, or carving the pumpkin is all about is to represent brand the blessed but even in those days they didn't have the concept or the understanding of consent because they didn't have the available information. All they thought was it was you know, these evil Oh, it's, it's okay. <laughs> well, well, shadow person tried to chuck Norris it out of your hand. Yeah. You're getting too deep, brother. You're telling it all. Well, it's the idea is that if we can all like understand sort of where we're at together, then we can stride as one. But you know, really, it's each of our each of our own experience is just that other little piece to the puzzle. And I think what I think what happens is like you know how when like when you're doing a large puzzle and invariably you end up to where you know you try working on the border pieces right you try getting all those out of the way first because those are straight edges you know where they're at right, right. and then it, invariably it always ends up to where you end up with these like little clusters of puzzle pieces put together. You know, and you start to you start to form a larger picture. The more of those pieces and those like little groupings get, and you know, eventually you get to where these are pretty large groups of puzzle pieces that form a larger and larger view of the overall puzzle picture. But you haven't quite figured out how to connect all of them together just yet. And I think that's where we're at now is we're at the stage of the the completion of the puzzle to where we have these huge clusters of people that you know, start to think the way we think and or we have that, that harmonic vibration is really what it comes down to. And that's pieces of ourselves that we're putting together. And we're, but, you know, the, but Mike... Mike, now that you've touched on the puzzle, the fact that mm -hmm. they were talking about Bob and the other guy that couldn't clearly state what the fuck he wanted to say about the damn Wilson memo. Um, yeah. <laughs> Freaking, uh, guys, it, on, I will put it on otwtube.com so you'll be able to see the actual video itself. So you'll be able to see what papers he was talking about. And um, yeah. I was thinking about the fact that he was saying... They're getting the technology. They're getting, the, you know, they have it. 
And that's why they're able to, when you said Moderna just came out the other day, right? So my whole thing is that how does, there has to be something higher that's around helping them walk through it. Or is it more of a, I'll give it to you. You have to figure out how to reverse engineer. You have to figure out how to do this. You know, it's uh, it's something uh, the elder said to me today. When someone says, I need help, I need help means what? You know, you're carrying some boxes. I kind of help you, right? I kind of take one part of the box. He says, the elder says to me, that's not what help means these days. Help means, uh, I say, um, Mike, I need help with these boxes. And then I take a fucking seat while you fucking bring the boxes back and forth for me. <laughs> Do you get what I'm saying? So you have to say yeah. assist, right? We have to change the way we talk because some people just go, I'm entitled, yay. So yeah. my whole thing is, are the the aliens or the Anunnaki or the, the GG people, are, not your GG because they were the slaves, but... It, well, wait a second, hold on, hold on. Go, go. Well, the distinction with the GG, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of people that think that the Ajiji were a you know an inferior sort of uh, class of people from Nibiru. Right, that's now, what I read. That's what I read. My my understanding, or what I've the story that you know has developed for me is that the Ajiji were simply the Anunnaki or the Nibiruans who were stationed on Mars, right? So when you look at the scriptural writings of ancient humans, the Anunnaki or those who from heaven to earth came were the ones that came to earth. But the ones that stopped at Mars were the Ajiji or those who from far away observed were the biblical watchers, right? So you have the biblical Nephilim who were the Anunnaki that came to earth and the biblical watchers were the Ajiji who were stationed on Mars. But that's really the only distinction because those names come from the Sumerian language or the translations of those ancient texts. That's what we translate them to be. So the Ajiji weren't necessarily a slave race. They were simply just a different geographical location of Nibiru. Well, I mean, they helped to build the pyramids, yes? Yeah, well, the uh, um, Ningazita, who is the genetic scientist that created the human species or the Adamu, he was the, the designer of the pyramids. And they had some technology um Michael Tellinger talks about the Sazer technology. Like laser is, uh, what is it, light altered. Um, I forget what the acronym is for laser. I, I, it's like light altered uh, sequential. I forget exactly, but uh, he discovered that they actually had Sazer technology, which is sound altered, whatever it is. And the Anunnaki had the Sazer technology, and that's how they cut these. You know, um, Enki had made a device that was therefore uh, there with a gash in the earth to make, and so it was uh, like a, a sound 
and sound altering a Sazer technology, which is like a laser, but instead of using light, it uses sound. Now, wait, laser, laser is light ampli amplification by the stimulated emission of radiation. Okay, so light amplified stimulation. So it's the stimulation of the emitting radiation, right? Or the, what was it, energetic radiation? It was em emissions. So it stimulated mm -hmm. emissions of radiation. Very interesting. Right, so light amplified. So it's the light amplified stimulation of the emissions. And then you have a sound amplified stimulation of the emissions, right? So they're the... Um, the emissions are the little particles and they radiate out and then the, the light amplifies that and that's what you know, it amplifies the stimulation and that's what creates the laser beam right. well, the, then, the, the same laser beam that cats go fucking crazy over and so the yeah. fact that they can see certain spectrums and probably see a light the laser beam coming from the laser pen is probably yeah. like them tripping on fucking acid cat people exactly. yeah like they're hallucinating yep like they're getting the the hallucinogenic effect but they have the Sazer technology as well which the so the builders of the pyramid or Ningazita the designer because the pyramid actually contained like a crystalline technology. And in the pyramid wars, when Marduk is locked within the Great Pyramid, before they seal it, uh, Ningazita actually goes in and, and removes and destroys some of the crystals in, in order to prevent Marduk from getting his hands on it. And that's where... Because like we talked about in an earlier episode, there's four reasons the pyramids were built. And that is the monument to the Anunnaki that survived the flood, uh, the artifice mount, which was the when before the, the pre-diluvial establishment was between a couple of mountains, naturally formed mountains, Mount Ararat, and then it had Mount Ararat before the flood had a twin and that was the landmark that the um, shuttlecraft or the celestial chariots would use when they were landing in that area of the world well they would use the those mountains as sort of their landmark and once the the flood happens and it destroys one of the mountains well, then the artifice mount or the artificial mountain is made to create the other side of that landmark, that landing corridor. And then it was the, so it's the, the uh, monument to the survivors. It's the artificial mountain to create that sister mountain for the Mount Ararat. Then it's also um, a beacon, which that's where the crystalline technology inside of the pyramid was used to create this beacon or a light, a laser that would shoot off into space infinitely. And so that's so you have your, um, the big Carillion ships that would, you know, your star cruisers that would go from planet to planet. And so your star cruisers would know where to orbit the earth 
by looking and seeing the beacon coming from the, um, coming from the Great Pyramid. And so that's where they would park the big star cruisers, and then they would send the celestial chariots, the shuttlecraft, would go down to the surface and back. But then the fourth reason it was built is that it was like almost an egg timer because the the pyramid on two days of the year, which is the, I think it's the spring equinox and the fall solstice or whatever, or the spring, is it? Yeah, because it's the spring equinox, the summer solstice, the fall equinox, and the winter solstice, right? I believe it was the on the equinoxes in the spring and in the fall where when the sun hits the pyramid just right, you can see that it's actually an eight-sided pyramid. It's not four-sided because each one of the sides that you can see every day is actually slightly concave. And you only get it with the sun in a certain position on the, um, like I said, I believe it was the equinoxes, but I could be mistaken. But that would tell the, that would tell the um, resource-laden ships that had been packing up for a year or for that six months or whatever, it would tell them that's okay, it's time to take off and take your shipment to the way station on Mars and then, you know, send the new ships for the new loads down, you know, and so that would be, it was kind of like that egg timer. So when they could see the, sort of that eight-sided pyramid, they'd know, okay, we got to take our shipment. Because for them, you know, they're coming from a place of, compared to us, the rotation of their planet around the sun as well as, well, the orbit around the sun, as well as its rotation, um, their 3,600-year orbit, so for them, that's like one year. You know, and that's 3,600 years for us. So a 10-year-old on Nibiru would be the same as a 36,000-year-old here on Earth, right? And so they had this technology for the pyramids, and Ningazita, who is the guy that did the genetic alterations to the native hominid that added the Anunnaki gene to create the Adamu, or who, he who is of the earth, that first earthling with the blood red skin. Um, but then creating that Adamu, they found over the course of time that it began to revert to its wild origins. And so, when you think about it in that perspective, so you have these genetically altered beings that are reverting to their wild origins, and then you have this encounter with Enki and two of the Adamu females that produce this offspring through the natural process, which produces Adapa and Titi, or what they deem as the quote-unquote civilized man. Right? And these are the ones that are of higher intelligence, have higher capacity for learning, can learn greater skills, because the Adamu are first generated to be a, a slave race, to be controlled and manipulated and have just enough intelligence to operate certain machinery. You know, And then, too, that's where some of the... the um, 
some of the other kind of theories or, well, I shouldn't say theories, but some of the other information that's come to me is it has to do with the melatonin and melatonin in the skin is related to the first workers, the Adamu workers, because some were made to work in the mines and some were made to operate the machinery on the earth, you know, on the surface. <clears throat> well, they had a crystalline technology that they used. Um, and so this crystalline technology had some radiation, <coughs> which was given off by these crystals and melatonin is, or melanin, I'm sorry, uh, melanin is a natural uh, uh, protection against radiation. So the more melanin in the skin, the darker the skin, well, when you're working down in the mines, you don't need to the protection from the sun on the surface that you would if you're operating this crystalline technology that's radiating a certain amount of uh, energy in conjunction with the radiation you're getting from the sun, which hence would explain why the workers on the surface who were operating the heavy equipment and the heavy machinery were darker skinned than those who were working in the depths of the mines with you know, the hammers or the laser equipment. And so it, it explains a lot of where we were, but then there's also the distinction between the primitive worker and the civilized man, because now you fast forward into the time where we're at, and you can imagine over the course of the generations and the population explosion, how the intermingling of the Adamu, who were the lesser intelligence and the civilized man and you know, so it leads you it leads you down to all kinds of different paths <laughs> wow yeah i i believe oh we're coming up almost on the third uh hour you know i oh, didn't geez. get to actually i didn't get to finish the hour <laughs> ha! i didn't get to ask you any questions for me so we're going to have to do this again you know that's going to be that'll be that'll be the trademark. <laughs> that'll be the trademark for the show is that it's you know we got to we got to finish asking the questions. <laughs> yeah, that as as my co-host Drew would say, "Hello, it's a show. Let's get back yeah. to the show." <laughs> Hello, can we get back to the show, please? Okay, we're we're coming off topic now. It's just like, oh my gosh, he's better than the adults. Uh. Yeah. He's... <laughs> Well, I think that it, you know, I mean, considering that it's, see, it's kind of a weird dichotomy for me because I, I go in with the mindset that we're on radio and that everybody in the universe, everybody in known existence will have an opportunity to hear us. And yet the, you know, the realization that we have um, an intimate amount of physical listeners and, but the conversation that we have, it's always so organic and it's just so natural that it's like, I mean, like you said, we're coming up on the third hour and 
I mean, I know we've been sitting here talking for a while, but it just, it's like, it's like we're just having a, you know, a, a conversation, like giving you a call. Hey, what's up? What's up, pal? What's up, buddy? I promise you all oh. that's missing is a, a nice glass of beer for me right now, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I would agree on that in a certain respect, but, you know, for myself, I had to, I had to put it down about 14 years ago. Uh, I will drink for you. Don't worry. All right. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on the hour. You guys have been listening to on the wake up radio.com. We'll be back with, uh, you know, Mike, uncle Mike, uncle Mike, um, exposing the skyline, uh, check out compound knowledge. Um, it's still there, but also in that album is the first three parts of Behind the Curtain. Uh, this is the fourth installment, and it'll be up soon, and then you can check it all out, and we're going to come back with a fifth one. And so, like the, what's it, the fifth element, right, that movie? And, hey, there you go. And so, um, I've enjoyed you uh, for coming through, gracing us with your knowledge, and just, just being grounded and cool, and just fucking awesome all fucking day. I appreciate that, Cindy. Thank you. Thank That's you. a wonderful compliment. And, and you know, all that all that love and adoration is returned to you in, in kind. Oh, thank you. And when you were talking about the first book your uh your mom ever gave you, this is one of the first songs my dad ever gave me. He bought the C D for me. It was Tracy Chapman's Crossroad and I couldn't uh -huh. stop listening to Subsidy and so I'll play that while we go out. Thank you. Thanks for keeping the lights on, Diang. Cindy Ashby. On the wake up. Just get your body to move. Won't stop till we shake the room, yeah. Just get your body to move. Why do I need to? Why do I need to? Then on the wake up play. Won't stop till they hear what we say, yeah. On the wake up play Why do I need to, why do I need to Just get your body to move Won't stop till we shake the room, yeah